everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Wade Monday, who is the Executive Director of the Addis Clinic and is a nonprofit and civic leader. Hello, Wade. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Hey, Sean. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited for this conversation. Uh, but before we kind of get started, what would be great is if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more information about your background and how you became the Executive Director of the Addis Clinic for our audience. The Annis Clinic is an innovative solution to a lot of global health challenges around the world. We deliver telemedicine services to people living in remote areas of the world. Right now, we're primarily working in East Africa. And I start with that because uh, a lot of that has to do with my beginning journey in the nonprofit civic space. When I was in college, I spent a summer living in Ethiopia, uh, not your typical summer abroad, but I lived in Ethiopia for that period of time and interacted with refugees, internally displaced people, primarily playing soccer. Uh, but it was a ter- terrific education for me uh, growing up in the South. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee right now. That's where I was born and raised. And I did not have a lot of exposure to people from other cultures. So living in Ethiopia was, as you can imagine, incredibly eye-opening for me. And from there, I pursued a master's degree uh, from Vanderbilt University. I worked on the presidential campaign of Barack Obama in 2008 and maintained my close proximity to politics because it's just always been a passion of mine ever since the first George Bush was in office. That was when I was in the third grade and uh, then began a career in the nonprofit space. So uh, I've worked for various organizations, uh, health adjacent. Uh, For a time, I was managing and organizing conferences for public health professionals that serves people living on the streets with street medicine, Uh, managed a federal cooperative agreement to conduct those events around the nation. That was extremely rewarding. Uh, Not only did I interact with brilliant colleagues who were physicians that had dedicated their lives to people living on the streets and improving their circumstances, but I was also fortunate enough to meet people who had or were experiencing homelessness. Uh, There's one story of a woman who traveled from Boston, where she lived, to a conference I was hosting in New Mexico. Uh, She had suffered a traumatic brain injury event, which is how she became homeless. And she was a subject matter expert in traumatic brain injury. And I hired her to present at a conference of other physicians. And she she presented her story alongside her case manager in Boston who drove her to New Mexico and, um, and just had a wonderful time. So I've, I've interacted with people experiencing homelessness who have uh, really incredible stories of resilience and achievement despite systems that have failed them. I also was the executive director of a nonprofit immigration law firm. Uh, In that space, uh, we made the argument to our funders that having immigration legal assistance improves uh, immigrant and refugees' mental health status, Uh, reduces anxiety and depression. We had data that proved that. So that was my first leadership role in a nonprofit organization. And like I said, it was health adjacent. And now I'm leading the Addis Clinic, which is uh, directly serving uh, two and a half million people in East Africa with access to telemedicine services. And we have another portfolio of healthcare programs related to people who are living with HIV, 
as well as young women and girls who are at risk of gender-based violence and need access to sexual and reproductive health services. And it's been really rewarding. I'd say my my entire career has been public health related. And uh, and in the meantime, it's it's hard not to be involved in politics as well. So I've had some engagement in that space as well. It's an amazing list of accomplishments and work that you've done uh, even just thus far. Uh, seriously impressive. And number one, thank you for all of the work that you do. I have about a million questions, as you might imagine, to learn more about your work and how you drive impact. I think great place to start or where to go from here, because you'd shared your story about uh, the trip and the time you'd spent in Ethiopia in terms of the influence that it had potentially on um, your work now at the Addis Clinic, or probably a great place to start uh, for our listeners trying to think through questions they may have is, can you tell us more about how that, how your work there got started? Um, what kind of influence your experience having been over there had on that and uh, how you're driving impact through that organization today? It originally began as a mission trip and I immediately saw the incongruity between a white person from the United States traveling to Ethiopia, a predominantly and historically very Christian country. Uh, the history of Judaism and Christianity and Islam in Ethiopia is very rich. And so early on, I found some flaws in the rationale behind going there, but made the most of the trip and uh, developed relationships, friendships, appreciated the culture, spent money, uh, and and really enjoyed that. Uh, I also had exposure to the healthcare system through one of um, the friends that I made there. He was a guard in the place where we were living. His name is Warku. And when he was a child, he had uh, suffered a foot injury. A pot of boiling water had spilled onto his foot and it had fused uh, his, uh, his, his toes to the top of his shin. So his foot was constantly in pain. It was at an incline. He had to walk on his heels. There was a surgery that could fix it, but there's no insurance um, in in that country at the time. And so he um, he was 18 years old. He had spent his entire life walking on his heels and he played soccer with us, but obviously he was limited in his mobility. And so he asked if, um, if I might be able to help him with his surgery. And I said, well, how much does it does it cost? It was $75. And that was just the out-of-pocket cost that he couldn't afford. Um, and fortunately, that's money that my grandfather had given me to spend for the summer. And it was, uh, I, I didn't spend it throughout that entire time because um, everything else was, was relatively inexpensive. So that was my exposure to different public health systems. The inconsistency in payment plans around the world and the way people are treated by their governments. The United States also has has flaws in our public health system and in our health system at large. Uh, but in Ethiopia and developing countries, it's also just um, I think suffers from a history of systemic racism and colonization that has left them under resourced. And so uh, that was just a very simple way of seeing how many people throughout the world have to manage their healthcare. And we see it in the United States all the time where people have to decide whether or not they're going to take their child to a well check or that they're going to pay for their food, um, whether or not they're going to get a life-saving surgery or pay the rent. You know, these are the trade-offs that people around the world make when it comes to health. But 
I think in, in civil society, we should help them make those choices more easily by subsidizing the cost of, of healthcare. And so um, that was that was what got me motivated to be involved in the healthcare conversation. And obviously the, the 2008 campaign of President Barack Obama was focused on uh, overhauling the U.S. healthcare system. Uh, we didn't get as far as some people would have liked, but I think that conversation is something that uh, we can never let go of. And we need to continue working towards more equitable healthcare systems, uh, not only in the U.S., but throughout the world. And and what we're doing in Ethiopia at the, or in Kenya and the rest of Ethiopia, the rest of East Africa through the Addis Clinic's work is uh, bringing a simple tool, a simple resource that we have available in the United States uh, in telemedicine. And through that simple technology, uh, what we have is a handheld app that clinical uh, providers can download to their smartphone and they can share it with um with other providers and patients to improve their care. It's really a way to overcome the human resources gap in many countries in East Africa, where there are fewer than uh, one doctor for every 10,000 patients. In Kenya, country of 54 million people, I believe there are 12,000 registered doctors. And so Doctors are incredibly generous with their time and expertise. And so I find doctors all the time throughout the country who want to give back. They want to deliver their expertise. And so we recruit volunteer physicians who can help fill that gap. They also sign up for our telemedicine service. They interact with someone from a different culture. They have a rewarding experience and they, uh, in some cases, save a life through a simple um, you know, communication that they deliver around the world. Some seriously powerful stories that really underscore the importance of the mission that you're pursuing. Also very impressive in terms of results that it sounds like you've been able to achieve thus far and also accelerated or made possible entirely um, or additionally by that technology and the applications that you're talking about in terms of um, some overcoming some of those significant hurdles in terms of just the disparity between the amount of people that need help and the amount of people that are available to provide that help. Sounds like that's helped close the gap. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that in terms of not just how you're driving impact. I think we've got a good understanding of that at the, at the moment, but what the volume of that impact looks like at the moment or how you're measuring kind of the performance or what you've been able to do at size and scale at the moment. And then I'd love to talk to you more about and hear more about what your plans are to kind of grow from there or what's next. Yeah, so it's always difficult in in the public health space to raise money because for donors and people that help accelerate the growth of solutions in this area, whether it's an institution, a corporation, or an individual, you know, we have people that give as little as five dollars a month to help support our cause, and then we have some foundations that give one hundred thousand dollars a year, and it's really difficult to get funding for work like this because it seems like we are bailing water out of a canoe that's constantly taking on water without plugging the hole first. Uh, And there's just so, I mean, 400 million people around the world lack access to essential health services. And that's according to the World Health Organization, the World Bank Group. Obviously conflict and climate change um, exacerbate that problem at increasingly more and more every year. 
If this year we have the war in Ukraine, that exacerbated the problem. There's drought in Somalia that's directly affected our teams working in that country. And so we have to continue to tell stories um, about one person who's impacted by our work. You know, it's one thing to say that we have over a thousand users of our telemedicine software in East Africa right now. They are serving two and a half million people with access to better healthcare. And those individuals have better clinical knowledge, better clinical understanding. It's really strengthening the health system in those countries. So it's one thing to quantify our impact, but it's also another thing to, to tell these stories that are stories of real people who have dignity and worth. And one of the stories is we work in Somalia, like I said, there's not a lot of funding for that work because it is such a complicated environment. You have Al-Shabaab, you have a fledgling government that is actually had a very peaceful transition to power when they elected a new a new head of state earlier this year. But there's just so much conflict and, and struggle there that many funders see it as a, a big risk. But what we've done is we've hired local medical officers. We've equipped them with telemedicine and we've deployed them to go out with community-based organizations, local nonprofit organizations in Somalia who we trust who have been vetted by the State Department, um, have no ties to terrorism or any other forms of corruption. And they go to internally displacement, internal displacement camps for people who have been uh, forced from their homes because of Al-Shabaab or forced from their homes because of a drought that's causing famine in their communities. And these medical teams conduct checkups. Uh, they can identify whether or not a child is severely malnourished, get them the care that they need. Um, there was one child, an infant, a newborn who at six weeks old was infected with meningitis and untreated that causes a bacterial infection. Uh, water builds up on the brain and uh, there was tremendous swelling of the brain. It's called hydrocephalus. I'm not a doctor, so uh, don't take any of this as medical advice. But, uh, but what we found was uh, one of our medical workers was in severe distress because his child and his mother was in severe distress. And so we submitted the case to a pediatric neurologist in at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She immediately diagnosed the problem. Then we coordinated an emergency medical procedure at a nearby hospital, the only one that had a neurosurgeon. Um, I spoke to a woman yesterday who had coordinated a similar field surgery in Iraq. Uh, meningitis is a common infection, especially among newborns and hydrocephalus is, is a natural, I think, sort of um, projection from that. So, uh, so it can be done in field hospitals. Fortunately, we were in a sterile medical environment. The child got the surgery, the swelling went down, child, baby, medical provider were all immediately relieved that they were able to get care for this child. Um, otherwise, that could have gone on for uh, several weeks or months and would have been fatal for the child. So, you know, those are the individual stories of how we're saving lives uh, in this community of caring individuals. Many of them are medical providers, but some of them are, are like I said, individuals who are giving as little as $5 a month uh, through our monthly giving program. This, the stories are so impactful. Great job of articulating them and really visualizing size and scale of the impact all the way down to that individual level and then trying to grow from there as well, too. So they are really 
important element of the storytelling component of the mission that you're fulfilling. Uh, so I completely agree that that really does a great job of better understanding and better understanding the results and also uh, helping people understand why the mission is so important. My questions for you from here about all of that work is basically what do you have? What are your plans in terms of what does the next phase look like? Like what would, or what would you like to see materialize in terms of yeah, so much work, great work has been done thus far. How are you thinking through kind of the next steps from here and what would you like to see happen? Yeah. So we have a five-year strategic plan as an organization and we're adding new board members. We're adding new volunteers. We're adding new staff. Um, you know, in the interim, a solution for what ails the world is donor funding. So we're always looking for new donors who can give to the organization. But a long-term goal for us is really government adoption because governments need to step up for their citizens. And so we are working on a program right now in Kenya, uh, which has a devolved form of government. That means that the national government doesn't make a lot of uh, decisions. Uh, local governments are empowered to make decisions related to public health. They have their own budgets. They collect revenue. They receive revenue from the national government and spend it how they see fit. So we're working with local governments, trying to get them to adopt this simple technology to better care for their people. And at scale, what that looks like is every hospital uh, throughout the country and throughout the region has access to better technology because as we know, technology can accelerate change. So that's um, that's our long-term goal. Although we are in the midst of, of scaling it now, we have an agreement with one local government. They've trained all of their clinical officers to use our software. They've downloaded it and they've begun referring uh, patients to our network of volunteer physicians. And so that's our long-term plan. Real change occurs when, when governments, which is a public entity, it's in the public good, this says that our commitment is to the health and well-being of our people. Uh, and I think that uh, hopefully that message is one that can be communicated to governments around the world. Uh, the United States doesn't do a good job of it. Uh, by far, we're uh, falling further below in, in rankings in terms of public health investments. Uh, and it's just something that that we always need to struggle to invest in as a nation. And you know, it's one it's one area where, you know, being in the United States and working in Africa, I'm very sensitive to the idea that you know this is sort of a white savior mentality that that we know better than other countries. That's simply not true because uh, we don't know better. We fail time and time again to make adequate investments in public health and infrastructure. However, we do have some resources that we can share. And, and that's the goal. And we're fortunate to work with great partners, our telemedicine software provider, some other organizations, um, large international NGOs that we work with, understand what we're doing is investing in resources and infrastructure and sharing resources with other countries. Uh, it's not, we know better. Instead, it's, we work together. I love that sentiment. And you've alluded to this several times thus far, even in greater detail in your last response to my, my previous question, in terms of the kind of the influence in government and politics and driving impact and it playing a critical role for more widespread adoption. Uh, on this show, Scaling Impact, one of the things we like to talk about is something I call kind of the 10x effect, uh, which is, you know, wherever your level of impact is at at the moment, 
if that were to be at a level 10 times greater than that, essentially, what would it take? Like, what does that vision look like? You've mentioned funding, you've mentioned government adoption, a few things. I'd love to hear you uh, describe in, in your kind of uh, vision in terms of if what you're doing now and the import, the, all that important work you're doing now is to reach uh, exponentially higher level, what is what will have to change between now and then in order to kind of reach that level? So sort of very pragmatically speaking, if we're serving 2.5 million people and we want to serve 25 million people, that's half of the country of Kenya. There are a couple of very basic things that we need to do, which is uh, upgrading our current technology software. We need to invest in a better user interface. Uh, we also need to do a better job of communicating with more people. So we are working with the National Ministry of Health in order to communicate our value to clinical officers and local governments throughout the country. And those are really two very basic pragmatic steps that we need to do. One is improve our technology and two is communicate more uh, with uh, a broader audience of decision makers in, in those countries. And so, um, you know, it's really quite simple because it that doesn't require 10 times investment of funding. Um, you know, it, it might take um, two to three times the amount of funding that we've got right now to do it. And so, you know, for two times the investment, you get 10 times the impact. And that's the, that's what we all know technology can, can do, uh, especially smartphone technology, because we love taking our phones with us everywhere and why not take them into a hospital? That's super interesting. That part that you mentioned, which I think is really valuable that I definitely want to underscore is that at two times, you know, as little as two times the investment, you can reach 10x of the impact. That is really powerful stuff in terms of, like, I think conventional wisdom might assume that it's going to be incredibly expensive to try to reach that level of scale. But what we're hearing you share with us is that we can reach that, we can potentially reach that level of scale a lot more cost effectively than probably a lot of people realize, um, which is that's the kind of story that I always want to be front and center whenever possible. Um, getting those interested to provide the resources necessary in order to pave the way to reaching that level of impact. Because I mean, I couldn't even imagine, right? Like the work that you're doing now is obviously incredibly powerful and important. You're already reaching millions of people, but reach half of the country or more than half of the country. I can't even imagine how much value that would provide to how many people. So that's uh, really interesting, really powerful stuff. Um, Wade, this content is amazing. Uh, so is your work. And, you know, obviously, thank you for everything that you are doing. And hopefully this helps spread the message as well, too, in terms of like what's possible, what can happen and where you're going from here. Um, I've only got, you know, a couple of questions for you before I let you go. And then uh, anything else that you'd like to share, please, by all means, feel free to do so. Because there's so many other topics we could dive into. In fact, I'd love to have you back to talk about, you know, what progress looks like uh, between now and when we connect next. But um the first question I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about too, because obviously you have a lot of experience here is for other leaders that are, you know, investing in um, impact as well. Also, what are there any like resources or strategies or recommendations you have for them where they can go to kind of learn more about anything that you've talked about here or uh, solving any of the challenges that they may also be trying to kind of uh, conquer themselves as well too, for their organizations to, to more effectively drive impact. There are, so many resources that I can't even count them. Uh, I get emails from 
either foundations that I signed up for, or maybe I was researching a technology platform, a CRM platform. Network for Good is one that they always have a resource. They um, are trying to sell a product, but they're also, I think, giving pretty good resources out as well in, in the process. So um, there, there are a lot of resources for people trying to make impact. I'm a curmudgeon. I, you know, I studied religion and philosophy and one thing that that taught me was to to read things very critically, to 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 be a critic, to scrutinize things, um, not just take things at face value. Um, so I'm very critical of the resources that I do receive, and you know, a lot of the challenge is actually sort of weeding out my inbox, uh, matching up whatever I'm being told by um, you know one of these organizations that wants to help you know, grow your board, grow your fundraising, maximize your impact. So I try to match that with my own experience and see what has actually worked. Um, I like to see that, you know, when we get a grant and we work on a new project, that that directly translates to results. And the only way to get those results is from having solid data and having patient feedback or beneficiary feedback. So in whatever sort of organization you're, you're working from, the best resource that you can have are testimonials from the people that you're helping and or partnering with. Those testimonials can be used for marketing purposes, but I think more importantly, they are the data that informs your decision-making and it's the most important data. Uh, it's oftentimes a trump card when you're meeting with funders. I mean, because we all, we all think that if I get a million dollars from this foundation, that's, that's going to be the silver bullet for me, but that foundation might have some strings attached to it. But if you can go to them and say, you know, these are what our beneficiaries are telling us, it's hard to argue with, with, you know, information that's right. directly from the source. So, um, so I'd say that's probably your greatest resource is um, feedback surveys, and uh, and making both those sort of heartfelt decisions, but also data driven decisions. Love it. Love everything about it. Um, I lied. I have two more questions. <laughs> the first, before I get to my last one, is what can what can we, myself, listeners, anybody who's uh, tuning into this podcast, do to help the organization and the mission? Yeah, well, I'll start with the hardest one first, uh, which is really not that hard. We have about um, somewhere around thirty people who currently give anywhere between five and $500 a month to the Addis Clinic, that money goes directly into the pockets of medical providers in low resource areas like Kenya and Somalia. You know, that money funds the salary of a young woman who is working in five different orphanages on the coast of Kenya, highly Muslim area. Uh, she's delivering direct healthcare with telemedicine access to orphans living in five different facilities. So that money goes directly to her. Um, so I would encourage people to go onto our website, addisclinic.org and sign up uh, for as little as $5 a month. Uh, it's kind of the sweet spot is $25 a month, but do what you want uh, and make that recurring contribution. It's a monthly giving club called the Academy. Uh, so that's one thing that you can do. And the other, the, the very simple ask is uh, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as the Addis Clinic or as Addis Clinic. 
And uh, we also have a, a fledgling TikTok account uh, where Caroline, the young woman I just mentioned, is uh, sharing a day in her life, uh, visiting orphanages and helping uh, women and young girls have access to reproductive health services and fight gender-based violence. Um, so that TikTok account is uh, called Caroline's Mobile Clinic. So follow our socials. Thank you for that. And I would encourage all listeners to follow the socials and please contribute if you can. Um, and uh, yeah, any any way to, that we can help you drive greater impact in this important mission, you know, the more the better. And then last question I have for you is uh, who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Yeah. Anyone who's interested in volunteering as a uh, an expert marketer or uh, volunteer physician. I mean, we, we have so many opportunities for people. Um, I can be reached through, uh, through email, uh, it's just at org. Uh, so we take volunteers in any capacity. Uh, we, we always are looking for people who can curate good video content. Uh, we have lots of videos and photos from the field and not enough time to really produce the, the, the volume of content that we need uh, to get our message out. So um, anyone in the creative space, any physicians, um, we can we can use their help. Agreed. Uh, and I'm happy to share that with my network as well, too. Uh, thank you, Wade, for you know being on the show, uh, sharing this incredible story. Um, we're happy to help in any way that we can. We encourage our listeners and folks that have learned more about the organization through the show to do the same as well, too. The content will also be organized into the show notes. So a lot of the resources that you provided, contact info, links to social, that type of stuff. Uh, and for all of our listeners, you can find that on the show notes as well also. And Wade, I just want to thank you one more time for being on the show and sharing this incredible information and story with myself and our audience. Thank you, Sean. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Impact. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you'd like to learn how to scale impact at your nonprofit organization by more than double in less than half the time, I'd encourage you to sign up for my free five-day email course at nextstep.io forward slash impact. That's nextstep.io, nxtstep.io forward slash impact.